0: Welcome, everybody, to the 91st, I believe, edition of Behind the Braves, 91st episode. Pretty close. Did I get it right? I think, but um, I haven't gone back
1: and but that's what I have on my list. All right, let's
0: go with that then. All right, 91st. Let, 91's a good number in Braves country, yeah. right? 1991, 91, that's a good number. And hey, it actually segues into our guest today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you all know him. You've uh, you, if you're of age like me and uh, or older, you remember watching him with the Braves. And younger, because he gosh, he was here for a long time, and you're familiar with him now with his work on uh, MLB on Fox, calling well all the biggest games, calling the World Series. John Smoltz, Hall of Famer, John Smoltz here with us. This is his second time on Behind the Braves. First time was. I don't know when we actually aired it. It was before our show even came out. This is when we recorded a few episodes before our launch because we wanted to have a few like in the can, as they say. That's right. And so he was kind enough to be one of our first uh, first guests. We recorded it the morning of or I'm sorry, early the afternoon of the day that the 2018 Braves then clinched uh the nl mm. east in 2018 at truist park we were wow i didn't it. remember that we did it was that day because he was i guess he was on he was calling the game yeah and that's why he was mm-hmm. here it was a saturday it was a national game and uh so it's just one of those days it was just such a great day it sticks out in mm-hmm. my memory that was the first time he was on with us this time a little bit different set of circumstances we went out to his house he was i know he trusts you but he's crazy to let people <laughs> like me he's never met into his home but uh i certainly appreciated it, it was it was fun He's – there's a reason why John Smoltz is in the position he's in and why he has the gig that he does. And being the the color analyst, I don't know what the official term for it is these days. That's what I've always got. The color guy is what I've always said. Mm-hmm. You got your play-by-play guy and your color guy. Um, and he's the guy. He's the color guy for for Fox and doing the, all the, the postseason and the World Series. And there's a reason for that is because he's just – He's just really smart and he's really thoughtful and how he views the game and how he discusses the game and talks about the game. In a way, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way. Like when we were sitting there listening to him and having a really, I think, thoughtful discussion about the game of baseball, where it's at, where it needs to go, or at least in his opinion, where it needs to go. I almost thought, gosh, this is this kind of longer format conversation is what people on when they're watching him on MLB on Fox during a game. I wish they could hear this because mm-hmm. he even alludes to it um, when we're talking with him. You know, he gets beat up on on social media sometimes, but when you're in that role, if you're going to be a broadcaster on the national stage, it doesn't matter if you're the best ever. People are going to beat mm-hmm. you up mm-hmm. online. That's just the nature of the game. But at the same time, I came away from our talk with him thinking, man, I wish I hope a lot of people, particularly ones that maybe. Don't care for the way he calls a game. I hope they'll at least give this a chance and listen to how he, what his thoughts and what his opinions are on this, because it's not like he's just riffing off the top of his head like I do a lot of times. Like he's actually, you can tell, put a lot of thought into where Mm. where he thinks the game should go. Um, And you and him, of course, go back what, almost 30 years at this point, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah, we used to drive to
1: to the games together because we lived up in the same area, and and so I'd catch a ride as a young player, uh, rookie. I'd get a ride with him or Sid Bream and that was always a lot of fun and and uh getting to know those guys a little bit different you know because you know pitchers even though we talk the same language and everything the starters have their own kind of click and the relievers have their own kind of click because you just don't you know i'm I'm there to pitch every night, and so I've got my routine. The starters, they're playing every you know once every five days, so they have their routine, and sometimes they don't really we don't really mix. And we used to play this game uh, during batting practice. Uh, every home you know of course during the home stands you come out first and and you do your batting practice first and everything so we would always the pitchers got to hit at home but you never got to hit on the road meaning practice practice hitting so because uh, you only had so much you know BP time on the road but at home you could extend a little bit because you hit first so we would play this game the the relievers versus the starters because we used to mix it all up and then we're like you know what uh, we're going to we're going to show who the real hit you know they always pride themselves thinking that they were the they were the big hitters i'm telling you what we had some really good hitters at relievers we never just we didn't get to hit during the games right but uh there were many times where we won those won, won those batting practice titles so was uh, that just a straight up just home
0: run derby was that was that? well
1: it was just batting practice, and then if you yeah you'd have to hit it out yeah. you get you get points for hit it out okay. so you know it was merker and me and um woolers and um steve bedrosian and and so we, uh, we give them a run for their money. They always thought they were the gray hairs, but when we, when we, when we beat him, it was always, cause there was something, you know, something, something <laughs> happened they got the bad coach that was pit throwing bad BP to him. Right. <laughs> so we didn't, we didn't mix up a lot. Um, you know, cause of our routines were so different, but yeah, Johnny and I go way back and, uh, Smultzy is always, he's been kind of cerebral, you know, from the standpoint of the game and and analyzing the game. I really like listening to him on Fox, you know, it's possible we're we're all human beings it's impossible not to you know his history being atlanta brave um of not that coming through a little bit on the broadcast, but as much as he tries, you tend to go overboard, and right. and so then your home team seems like that you don't really like them because you're trying to show that you're not partial, and you know. So we talked a little bit about that, and that is interesting, and that's just normal. But I don't know, people just they can fire off comments, and they don't they don't uh, just because they can, and it doesn't yeah. really matter. But I thought he had some great things to say, and then of course you know we were listening to him talk about the state of the game. And I've always enjoyed listening to what he has to say about that. And, of course, he's immersed in not only just the Braves, but every team. You know, he talks about his work with the MLB Network and how he has to follow everybody and, and talk about the game in general and i thought he had some good things to say about the shift and and uh you know some other things like that as far as the strike zone and you know now we've got the sticky debate and all these other things
0: yeah i, I the shift the part of this discussion i thought was really really fascinating mm-hmm. to hear his his thoughts on that and if you're listening to this i mean people especially die are baseball fans i've heard people that are on both sides of that that they're, mm-hmm. they're very much like like Think that the shift is just that's where we're at now, and that's that's fine. That should stay, and that's part of the strategy of the game now. That's fine. I don't personally love it, but I'm I'm I don't I don't think I have a strong I don't feel as passionate about it either way as a lot of people do. So what I would say is if you're tuning into this, is whichever side of that fence you're on, I still think you're going to enjoy hearing John. And how he, Mm -hmm. his thoughts on it, it's, it's thoughtful and you might still disagree with it, but I would, I would at least invite you to, to listen to it and see what you think that, uh, what you touched on there, being a guy who's so well known for having been with one team and then calling games that are where you kind of, you have to be impartial. That's a tough, tough gig. I've noticed that I don't want to call anybody out, uh, but I've noticed like with, uh, one of my other favorite teams I follow in a different sport. A person that played for that team and is now a on a broadcaster on a both regional and national level, and which then leads to him sometimes calling my team, his former team's games. And I noticed a couple years ago when he was starting to get more of these national and kind of higher profile gigs where my team would be involved, that it seemed like he was going out of his way to kind of go against my team and his former team Hmm. and i noticed other fans were all kind of noticing this too and it's like why is why is he hating on us so much and i have noticed here in the last year or two i think he's he's been able to strike a much better balance and it doesn't seem like he's going overboard with it and he honestly feels comfortable being able to praise our our former team Mm -hmm. because he's been in the gig for a little bit but i i always kind of thought like it it would bug me a little bit cuz I'm like why are you bashing us so much like you you <laughs> played for us what is going on yeah. but I always try to give him grace cuz I thought that's just got to be a tough gig especially when you first get one of the the national or regional or kind mm-hmm. of or a deal where you're on an ESPN or a Fox Sports calling a, a game of the week for whatever sport it is. That's that's tough. Yeah. That's really tough because and I think even John says in the interview, you can't win because yeah. the, the the half the fans are going to say, well you're biased towards the Braves. Half are going to say why are you bashing the Braves? You were a brave like it's it's yeah. you can't with it. So I think he does well a great that's job. when
1: you know you're in the sweet spot, right? I mean yeah. our our culture now we don't like people being in the middle. You got to pick a side. Yeah. So. That's true. So if you're getting bashed by both as broadcasters Doing pretty good. But, you know, we talk about John as being, most people know him as a broadcaster. Now, if you haven't followed baseball, you know, for if you've only followed it recently, then you know him as a broadcaster. But we can't forget, you know, obviously a Hall of Fame pitcher. He was drafted in 85, 21 years, uh, world champion, 95, eight-time All-Star, Silver Slugger, which he's probably most proud of, Cy Young Award winner, um, and then 2015 Hall of Famer. uh, And and probably the most remarkable feat, uh, 213 wins and 154 saves, second to only Dennis Eckersley. So that's a pretty improbable feat just because – Uh, most guys don't have an opportunity to do that. And it wasn't like, and John talks about this in an interview, wasn't like he had to do that. Eckersley had to do it because his career was basically over as a starter. He had to reinvent himself, but John did it out of necessity for – for the team um, because he had been hurt and they needed uh, a closer coming off. I guess he transitioned after rocker kind of got hurt or got traded or moved away. And then they, then they needed a closer. And so, you, you know, comes in, you know, Smolsey comes in, sets a record with 55 saves and just thinking, Oh my gosh, this guy's incredible as a closer. What, why, why didn't he be doing this his whole career? But um, he quickly found out that that's a tough role. And then, as soon as they needed him back as a starter, he transitioned back. That's incredible flexibility. Yeah. And most guys don't have the mental capacity to do that. Or have the ability to do that, like he did. So I thought that was pretty pretty amazing. And so I always want our fans not to forget that. Even though you know his numbers up here in the stadium, and uh, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So uh, he was an outstanding pitcher, big game pitcher. Yeah. Um, I saw him get hit hard, but then I saw him just mow guys down. So typically when he got hit hard was a was an April seventeenth game, you know, or a mm-hmm. or a June second game. It wasn't in the playoffs it wasn't you know i think there was one year where he i think during the world series run he had a bad game against cleveland and then and then came back, and um, you know. But up until that time, he was. But there wasn't many of those. I mean, right. you look at Minnesota, and you look at Toronto series, and all those National League Championship series. I mean, he was outstanding. He was the go-to guy. You wanted him on the mound. You know, he was going to bring the intensity
0: and and be there for nine innings. He was the Game Seven guy too. Yeah, for those, for early, sure. I mean, he was the guy you wanted out there. That. that it always it it stinks being on the the wrong end of it but it always you always have to point out i mean game 7 of the 91 world series that that uh, that has to be one of the greatest pitch games ever if you're looking at both teams Smoltz versus Jack Morris in game 7 i yep. mean my goodness uh, yeah you know, phenomenal i mean, it's just it's it's go back and watch it now and it's just uh you just don't see that kind of stuff yeah. anymore it's pretty incredible mm-hmm. well I, you first, see it just for five innings though. well there you go okay <laughs> fair enough <laughs> <Not nine>. <laughs> <laughs> well this was a really really I think thoughtful entertaining discussion um, and thanks to John for letting us come out to his house and do this uh, I didn't steal anything I promise so if anything's missing wasn't me like Shaggy <laughs> wasn't me um, alright without further ado here he is Hall of Famer John Smoltz
1: out. there it is Paris- strikeout number three
2: thousand for john smoltz history in atlanta and the congratulations from brian mccann that ball ticketed for cooperstown and someday so's that man
1: all right smoltz appreciate you coming back on behind yeah. the braves um, we are here on the eve of a game right you're you're back in atlanta and um that's uh, it's great for us to be able to catch up with you again. I know there's a lot been going on um, with you um, especially with uh, you know still traveling doing MLB yeah. right still with Fox and uh, it's been a pretty good gig for a while. You still feel pretty good about what's going on.
2: Yeah, it's, um, COVID's thrown everything in for a loop. And even though we're getting on the other side of it, it's kind of compacted my schedule into a lot of big, big, long road trips. Um, won't be like that anymore once we get on the other side and we're free, but, you know, four and five week stints, um, away from home, that's been a little difficult, but I have to find a way because of the rules of quarantining when you leave and do this and do that, um, you know, I got to find a way to, to kind of navigate that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's uh, a little jumbled. And uh, this, this next road trip is going to be six weeks. And Jeez. then after that, hopefully more of a normal, I typically would always do week on week off. That's my schedule week on week off. And then every Saturday game, I go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the balance is I've done a lot of studio games, meaning I don't have to go to the place. Now we're starting to open that up. And so I am starting to go for Fox, you know, on the road. So, um, one of the things that w- kind of a, a theme Ricky
1: and I've been talking about with some of our guests and I, we had Wo daddy on, um, last week and, and I've been real curious because of my role, you know, yeah. working with a lot of alumni that, uh, I'm real um, interested in how guys transition. So you went from playing and pretty quickly you went into broadcasting, which, you know, we talk about guys who, if you're going to stay in the game as a coach and a scout, you have to make that transition pretty quickly because of the cycle of players. But how do you feel like that you transitioned from player to broadcaster? Obviously you have, you've had been having a great career as a broadcaster, but how do you feel like you transitioned from player to, to
2: to your second. Well, it was career. interesting because I got a sneak preview when I was hurt in two thousand and eight. Had the so- shoulder surgery. Really wanted to come back and play, and I did. Um, but in two thousand eight, I ended up doing a playoff series for Brian Anderson and uh, Joe Simpson and with TBS. Yeah. And so a spot just happened to open up, and they offered me a spot for two thousand and nine. Um, but I said I wanted to play, you know, and I, I, I got back on the field and. Once 2009 ended, I thought I might play in 2010 with the Cardinals, but I was either going to play with the Cardinals or take the job with TBS. And of course, I didn't. I ended up not re-signing with the Cardinals, so I took the job with TBS. That playoff little experience gave me kind of a sn- snippet, if you will, of what I love the most about baseball's postseason. But then the the natural grind to navigate the route I did. You know, I uh, got into it not just to get into it. I got into it to get to the top. Uh, I told my agent, I said, if I'm going to do this. I want to do the world series. So however path, whatever path I have to take, um, I want to take it. And at the time, TBS uh, had a uh, limited opportunities in their playoffs. And then MLB network started right around 2008 and nine, they, they birthed their, uh, network. And so I, I, I joined with, uh, MLB Network and TBS and then then interestingly led to Fox and Fox opened up an opportunity for me to do the World Series and so it's it's been way more work than I ever dreamed <laughs> meaning preparation um, because when you're pitching you're worried about nine guys maybe eight in National League that's it and maybe a couple pinch hitters that's all you study you don't even know half the other you don't need to right. but when you're broadcasting you need to know all 50 or 52 and mm-hmm. that's really been the challenge with the ever-changing the way the game is and people come and go and the injury rate. So you're always constantly evolving and, and certainly strategies have changed. So you're trying to go along with trying to figure out what everyone's trying to do. So it's been an interesting journey. I don't know how much longer I'll do it, but um, I love calling the world series. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing better And post season is something I just, I've always loved. Um, I've always said I wish there were less regular season games and more (laughs) postseason games, but it's a grind when I get to that point. I'm gone for 35 days, and I'm locked down into what I would do as if I was a pitcher. I'm preparing with that much preparation (laughs) – as if that team is attacking. Like if I were putting myself in the shoes of Max Freed facing the Dodgers or Clayton Kershaw facing the, the Braves, that's the kind of preparation. And you know me, unfortunately, I don't know enough about technology, so it takes me a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had wanna follow-up just on that one comment because Ricky and I had a
1: chance to do last year when COVID started. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> we were we – uh, they're down in spring training, and they come back, and they're going to spend a week of playing inter-squad mm-hmm. scrimmages, right? And so uh, the day before they're supposed to start, uh, we get a call and said, hey, we want you guys to go do Facebook Live and, and call the game.
0: And we're like, uh, okay. Yeah, well, we I, never called a middle school <laughs> kickball game, <laughs> yeah. much less a, a game. And it was Facebook. We're like, post- well,
1: who's the color? You know, who's yeah, the color? Like, yeah. He's like, oh, okay, well, I'll do. It. And so we're up there and we're we're talking about it. And it was really weird. And um, And so just being thrown into that, um, I said, I told Ricky afterwards, I go, man, how did those guys remember all that stuff? I said, I was studying for like hours and I still couldn't remember. And that was just yeah. our team. And then we told that it was at McAlpin, Kevin McAlpin. We, right. s- we said something to him like, how in the world? He goes. Listen, Frenchie and Glav, they get all that stuff on a computer screen and they just read it off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like
2: going, you, know, you
1: know, as far as like all these tidbits yeah. and stuff.
2: And I was like going, oh, my gosh, that's, that makes me feel better. I thought I was an idiot. You know, unfortunately <laughs> for me, I do all my stuff by myself, mm. which I could probably make my life a little less hectic by taking a lot of the information that they give you Mm -hmm. but it doesn't apply to what i'm trying to look for so i'm trying to bring to the broadcast a stylistic way of putting people behind the scenes of what it's like for the cat and mouse game with the pitcher and the hitter and what is it like thinking like a pitcher or thinking like a hitter so for me to do that you know especially in the postseason i'm watching ton of video i'm watching matchups i'm writing everything down it literally is five to six hours the day of a game and you know it, it can get a you can get burned out, especially with all the information. It's overkill, and I find myself when the game comes up, all that time in preparation I'm probably using five percent, you know. But I feel prepared right. versus running into a situation where you kind of winging it. That's never good. You can only get a buy, get by winging it for a little while, but it's definitely, I've been doing this 11 years. I still don't have the routine down pat. So mm. it's, it's an ever evolving process that I, I really do want to get it down to two and three hours if I could make my life a little easier.
1: Well, I think it'd be a lot easier if you were doing the same team every time. No doubt. You could probably wing it a little bit more, but when you do all these different games.
2: You know, when COVID started, All right. And we did all these games from the network. It seemed on paper like, hey, can you do these 10 games in 11 days? Well, if I'm not moving, oh, that was horrible. I mean 10 different it was it was really 16 different teams in a span span where it, it that's just not possibly and I found a, a, I learned a hard lesson I, I was what I was game four I was spent and I was like what am I doing I got six <laughs> more straight days so the balance of the network at MLB network is is I do a lot of studio work and then the games are a total different animal mm-hmm. so studio I'm there I'm kicking back I'm watching every game I'm talking about each game you get more of a a global look of baseball when you're into a baseball game it's just those two teams you have no idea what's going on the rest of baseball mm. i'm locked down for three days or two days and then i got to constantly catch up mm.
0: well i know after we did uh those those inter games at uh last summer summer camp i guess is what they called it we like to joke one of our favorite comments because we looked down and we just thought all right there'll be maybe a thousand people watching on facebook and then after the fact we realized how starved people were just for anything because there were i think there ended up being a hundred thousand after the fact that it, that Watched it, which was horrifying to me that 100,000 people had listened to us (laughs) trying to attempt to call something for the first time. And our favorite comment was, "Well, at least it was better than silence." Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. We'll take that. But I did remember, like uh, after the fact, having this feeling of like, "Man, I I don't know if we were any good, but we that was fun." Like after the fact, it just felt like it was fun, and there wasn't a particular moment or point in the game. It just afterward, I was. Do you? Is there ever a point where you're like, "Man, this is"? Are there points in the game where you really feel like you're having fun, or is it just more of a feeling? Of accomplishment after the fact. Um, I, I kind of like, uh, obviously, selfishly, I like a good game.
2: <laughs> I want the game to be good. Not it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's twelve to two, and there's times you can be funny and talk about other things. But the balance of doing a baseball game, people don't understand that we come in as a national broadcast and they're not used to a national broadcast talking about their players or their team in a way that is not their home broadcast. When you're doing the home team all the time, you're kind of a fan, right? I mean, you're you're more rooting for your team, you want your team to win. Nationally, I can't be a fan. I can't even even act that way. So I have to I have to roll in as if nobody else has seen these two teams and then talk about these teams from a uh, you know, 40,000 feet. And you get hammered a lot for that because it's like... Everybody in the world knows I played for the Atlanta Braves, right? For 21 years. But I can't call an Atlanta Braves game as a player that I played for 21 years. It wouldn't work. And what I found in this business is no matter what game we do, 50% of the fans think you're rooting for the other team and the other 50% (laughs) think you. That's the definition of a good broadcast Mm -hmm. because you're never going to win. You never can win because imagine new people coming in and they're like, hey, I'm used to Chip Carrying, Jeff Rancour, Tom Glavin, you know, and from a national standpoint, you just have to be removed from that. And there are no way, I, I still laugh when people think, that the way I communicate or broadcast a game, somehow I'm rooting for a particular team. Mm-hmm. Like my words have power over the game that I can physically change the game by how I broadcast. But you wouldn't believe, and thankfully I don't have any social media, but it is an, it's just a straight chance to just hammer the national team that comes in and does the highest level game. And, you know, it's just part of the deal.
1: Well, we know that being in the middle a lot of times is the worst position, right? Yeah. In
2: politics, yeah. socially, whatever. It is
1: if you're not, if you don't pick a side, you're getting hammered by both those. So so that's pretty good that, uh, you know, 50-50 you're
2: you're doing your job. My hardest job so far this year was this past year was the Braves and Dodgers. Mm. And you've got the play-by-play for the Dodgers, Joe Davis doing the game and me doing the game as a longtime Atlanta Brave Hall of Fame player. So you go into that game and you try to be the best version of yourself that you can be without ever once thinking about what your selfish desires are or what you want can't come across the air. It just can't. You have to be neutral. And so we knew that both of us were in a really tough spot. And sometimes you find yourself going out of your way to prove you're not being biased. And that sometimes comes back to bite you too, because you can't win in that situation. So ultimately I've said this, um, you know, and I can say it again. I mean, to to be full circle, how cool would it be to call a A World Series someday that the Atlanta Braves are in. You know, I'd still do my job, but it would be pretty cool, Uh, even though I know that the uh, backlash could be uh, even more severe.
1: (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about your career because obviously you had an unbelievable one. Your your name wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Your number wouldn't be retired at Truist Park if uh, you didn't. But uh, I want to focus more in just on and, you know, transition maybe the the key bit. I mean, you went from starter to close back to starter uh which we've talked before mm-hmm. that's extremely difficult but just tell our audience about your perspective on number one what was that like you know trying to make that transition from you know your mindset yeah. as a starter is totally different than our mindset in the bullpen and you learned that but tell us what that transition was
2: like and then which role you you thought you liked the best yeah it was hard um it's not like throwing right-handed and learn how to throw left-handed. It's still pitching, but the mindset and everything about the culture of it's totally different. There's nothing uniformly the same other than you have a ball in your hand and you're trying to get a hitter out. So the adrenaline rush is off the charts for a reliever. Um, the structure for a starter is what I loved. I loved knowing every day what I was going to do, what I was going to eat, when I was going to work out, and when I was going to pitch. And the only thing that deviated that would be the weather. As a closer, you just go by the seat of your pants. You have no idea. You got to be ready all the time. You got to have a brain that just is absolutely forgetful because if you blow a game, you got to get right back on the saddle and, and act as if it never happened. Um, I did the role out of necessity for coming back from injury. I literally only did the role to help the team down the stretch in 2001. Had no desire whatsoever to think that the future of the next three years, I'd be the closer. And it just, to stay in Atlanta and to play for Bobby, it just had to be that way, I guess, based on the contract and what, you know, we were talking about. But that transition wasn't one that I came about really easily adapted. I had to learn as the season went on. And by the way, the first month I stunk and I gave up six. Six or eight runs, a two-thirds of an inning in a home game. And you know, now you're done for the year. Your ERA is never coming down. And lo and behold, 78 appearances later, I end up saving 55 games, which still to this day is just mind-boggling how it worked out. I think if my numbers are correct, thankfully it stalled in September. I think coming into September one or two, I had 51 saves. And And I'm looking at this usage going, oh my gosh, you know, we still got the postseason to go. So I've pitched close to 300 innings as a starter with the ending, the innings in the regular season and the postseason innings getting close to 300. Nothing I was more tired than pitching out of the bullpen because they forget how many times you warm up. (laughs) And I think we had a chart there for a while at 145 times I had warmed up. Now, a lot of that's extra inning games and not all of it's getting hot, but most of it is. (laughs) And some of those you're not even getting in the game. So I definitely. Definitely preferred starting. I love the adrenaline. I love coming to the park knowing I could impact a team three to five times a week. But the unknown was killing me. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the postseason came and went and that really was where I missed being a starter Mm -hmm. because you're only as good as your opportunities that you get. And, you know, we just didn't win a series. When I was a closer, mm. and you know that's just part of the DNA of, of who I am, of thinking that I could start a game, pitch two in a series, possibly three, like we did in '91, '92. But I also love knowing that if we, if I was coming in with the lead, the game was over. That was my mindset. So it's the balance of one half dozen the other, and the chicken and the egg. But without the New York Yankees and their talent, is Mariano? you know, Mariano was the greatest closer ever in pits probably, but his success of his team went hand in hand with him being the greatest closer mm-hmm. in the world, because we may not know how good Mariano was if he played on a last place team. And so it's really the balance of those two very important traits that kind of go in in sync with each other. Mm. Yeah, that's uh,
1: that's pretty interesting because, you know, when I look at your career, matched up very similarly to Dennis Eckersley because, you know, even though he had more saves, you had more wins. And, you know, he spent a lot longer time. You know, you Mm -hmm. went back to being a starter. But uh, when I looked at that, I was amazed at how, of course, you know, he's an Hall of Fame too and, yeah. and how he started his career as a starter and, and did pretty well but uh, it's kind of interesting he made that sense. I don't know if you guys ever talked about that yeah
2: you know the, the the subtleties there are a lot of subtleties there but the major difference is he was at the end of his rope as a starter mm-hmm. and it rejuvenated his career as a closer like he really went to the next level and, and to most people he's a closer right like sure. they forget about him as a starter for me it was, a, it was kind of what I was willing to do to help the team down the, and then it became my undoing like it was like all of a sudden I'm like wait a minute <laughs> (laughs) There's no option here. (laughs) So I wanted to stay To play for Bobby and I made no bones, you know about that and 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 I really was willing to give it a try. I I thought maybe, just maybe, if we can win another championship, I'll never see the starting rotation again. I didn't know though in that time frame we'd lose all the starters. We did too. Like I would be down there without my buddies, (laughs) and so I couldn't eat like I wanted to. You know, there was a lot of things that selfishly you get used to, and I had to learn differently. So you know, it's an it's interesting on how the career path took me the way it did. In a unique way, it probably added to the Hall of Fame kind of resume. Um, I still maintain if I had those five years back, I would get close to 270, 75, maybe 280 wins. Who knows? But it all worked out because I I really was willing. I wanted to win championships. I I didn't care about personal goals. I didn't care even about those 55 saves. If those 55 saves equated to another championship, then it would have been unbelievable. But to not really get another chance Um. once that, even though we went 14 straight years, I I would have traded a lot of personal stuff to win another
0: championship. One thing I wanted to ask about in relating just to the current team, um, how do you, if, if coming into this season, especially coming off the heels of the 2020 season, everybody's expecting the 2021 Braves to be not just good, but World Series contending good. Yeah. And to this point, and there's still a long way to go, but things have not gone as planned and everybody knows the reasons for that. Sure. If you're listening to this, you know what all has happened. But if you're on a team that is underperforming or you, the team knows we should be better than this, we feel like we should be playing better than this. How do you deal with that every day? How do you what is your mindset? And in two part question, is there a game or a point in a season that you can that that can really turn it all around for a team? Is can it be that simple at times because I sometimes, think as fans we think that, but I'm not sure if that's true. Sometimes, you know, a player will never openly, I can say it now because I'm no longer
2: a player, but you're not going to admit the warts of your team. You know what they are. You know what you got to hide and you know what you're good at. The, the the team that is really good has very little warts, so they don't have to hide their their are warts on their team. And, you know, they, they overcome them with a lot of things. You can't press and you can't do too much. And it's easier said than done. If you're not healthy, which the Braves are not healthy, you have to do your part to try to kind of stay afloat. You just don't want to get buried behind a team that got hot because you're not healthy. And I found that in our teams in our runs because we ended up at top every year it didn't mean that there weren't valleys that were not so good and that we just stuck together knowing that when well, if we get healthy we're going to be where we need to be at the end and it's not a button you push and it's not you can't just say when well, we have to win we will you have to find a way to play the best version of baseball that you're capable of while this stretch is going on. And you intuitively, each player should think they can do a little bit more to make up for the guys that are not there. But that's not always the easiest thing to do either. You just really have to have players that you maybe never thought would be a huge contributor be huge contributors. They got to play above their means. Like To play playoff baseball and to be a World Series contender, your good players have to play Better than good, and your great players have to be great. Like you have to have a step up in every category because you can't afford to have like a lot of people thought. And you know, I'm not big on those stupid Pacota projections. And of course, they haven't the last four years. They they haven't thought the Braves to be much anything, and they've been wrong the last four years. Well, this year coming into it, a lot of their projections were they didn't think a lot of players could exceed what that minimal year last year. And so far, they're right based on the pitching expectation and the players that offensively had monster years so what happens is you got to have the balance of those other players that didn't have very good years step up and fill the gap because it's almost impossible for Freddie Freeman to hit 360 again this year and we all know some of the injuries have taken away the greatest strengths of their club has been their offensive ability so you know Pitchers have to pick up the slack, but they've had health issues. And then, of course, the bullpen. So I've always said it, it can be this simple, but it doesn't work this simple. Is If you have three hot starters at any point, it can be three different guys out of five. You just need three. Three hot hitters. Don't have to be the same three. And three hot relievers. You're always going to be in the mix. And if you don't get that, then you're really going to find the peaks and valleys. You lose six in a row or seven out of
0: 10 because you don't have those guys stepping up in the right spot. Well, and as, as we're recording this, and this will be out a few days later, but the last two nights with the Braves, Max Fried did what he did. Charlie Morton did what he did the night before. And it suddenly, we I was sitting there in the press box and we're going, oh, this is this is kind of what we we're hoping to see and expecting to see. And if you start getting those guys going that way, then no doubt, then suddenly you're like feeling a whole lot better about it. That's for sure.
1: And you don't have a, you're not have a division where somebody is just winning, you know, six out of seven games, you know, the Mets, even though they're in first place, they're still vulnerable and, you know, everybody's kind of the same boat but you you can't just start losing four and and win four and expect that that's gonna work because it hadn't worked so far and that's why we were seven and a half back and now I think we're five and a half back at this at this point but that can turn really quickly yeah. but it's uh it's kind of an interesting dynamic because you lose your catcher you lose your left fielder you lose your number one pitcher and you lose your closer yeah I mean those are four key spots that
2: and uh, that's that's hard to overcome now fortunately the east has not lived up to any of the potential that the teams in the east were predicted to do when the season started because because... because it was going to be loaded and it was going to be hard and they're all struggling. The downside is, though, with that, you've missed an opportunity to kind of create a nice gap. So each team's flipping back and forth going, "Okay, we're not out of it, but we missed a golden opportunity while this team and that team has not clicked. So baseball is 162 games, as we know, but it's also the schedule you play is not always the team. Like The timing of the schedule is huge. You may play a certain team early in the year and they're not very good, and another team may come in and play them when they're hot. You know, so the timing of the schedule, you have to take advantage of the schedule when it's there for you. And certain teams in the National League are really down this year, and you have to win those games. It's like you look at it all the time, and we always look at the schedule and go, All right, you got to take two out of three here. You got to win this series. But the bottom line to what you guys are saying is when you win series, you don't fall into that gap. And right now, the Braves have not really, I think they've been over 500 one time this yeah. year. So that that's a recipe recipe that has to change, and I think will as they get healthier. If we don't have to see the Blue Jays, we may yeah. be all right. That's my point, We see. played
1: them when they were on fire. I mean, we lost – they swept us both series. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Those guys were just killing it. So uh, so have you followed much about um, with uh, Theo Epstein's, you know, his think tank and what he's trying to do to kind save the of, game? Kind of, yeah. So I, I just wanted to um, – kind of my final question for you is with – these artificial fixes that they're he's supposed to be in charge of coming up with whether it's moving back 61 uh the mound back to 61 making the bases an inch bigger around or um you know all these different things i was just curious your thoughts on that i mean you've been pretty outspoken yeah. about the state of the game but now we see, you know, we're talking about there's such a huge gap between this is their words the gap between the pitchers and the hitters so we're going to all of a sudden say no sticky stuff and we're we're gonna go out there and check you and we're gonna we're gonna start testing how we can make this game and close make the game better by closing the gap. So I just wanted you to comment on that and, yeah, and see what you thought I, about that.
2: I think the data over the last five years has shown that let's just face it, the games are played longer, right? So that data in and of itself, the game being played longer is not a long-term thing you can bank your buck on, Like Fans are going to eventually, it's not going to work well when the games are going longer and the action is minimal. That's the one thing that I've always heard over the last five years. How do we get action back in the game? How do we get the games moving at a pace that was played ideally with the same amount of pitches about 30 to 40 minutes less 10 to 15 years ago, Well, the players are bigger, the stronger, the technology is unbelievable, and the information is overwhelming, and the game and the process to play the game has just become slower. Here's what I've always looked at. I've always looked at the game from afar because now I'm in the booth. I love the game, but when you you spew out some of these stats, people get on you as if you don't, you think that you hate the game. Well, no, these are just data-driven stats that everyone's talking about, but the elephant in the room is, what do you do about it? Okay, some of the rule changes that came down the path, everyone complained about, I think they've kind of enjoyed now with the seven-inning doubleheader, the extra-inning rules. My point is, nothing should be outrageous that you come up with. That doesn't mean you implement it. In other words, if you if the if the game and the pendulum is not swinging and hitters are not making the shift go away and it's too hard to hit high velocity and the teams are going to be okay with swing and miss, swing and miss, homer, swing and miss, then you have to adjust some rules and make some things happen in the game that change the philosophy because otherwise it won't change. There's no reason. Reason for it to change. If teams build around power pitching and power hitting, then you're going to have minimal action and you're going to have a lot of standing around and you're going to have the shift. So my ideas have always been this, ban the shift. Every sport has made a defensive ban to adjust to where this sport is going. Hockey did it. Basketball did it. Football's done it. Football not too long ago was in a place where if you had the lead in the fourth quarter, there were no comebacks. They couldn't afford for football to have no comebacks if the stats were showing the game was over based on the defensive ploys that were. So that's got to come. Because if it doesn't, you're never going to have unintended consequences. If you hit a ball at 105 miles an hour and it's on the ground and it's into the shift, it's an out. But if you don't have the shift at 105 miles an hour, you'll be rewarded for hitting the ball on the ground. See, people forget that teams are teaching you to hit the ball off the ground. So they don't even want you to hit it on the ground, which therefore is the issue of home run strikeouts, and walks, not to mention a highest rate of hit batsmen ever because of the philosophy of pitching. So I'd do two things. I'd ban the shift, I'd put it in a multiple, maybe you can, maybe you could pick two guys line. There's so many different things you could do with the shift rather than just say it's over. Mm-hmm. You modify it. You got to do something with the shift. And I'd be a proponent of two guys on the infield, nobody in the grass. You got to have two, two or even if you wanted somebody in the grass, two people on each side. That's the first thing i do. And then I'd lower the strike zone instead of moving the mound back, which is so drastic and so over the top, even though it's, it's nothing should be outrageous because if we just move the next five years and act as if, if the game's going to change the last five years as it's shown it's going to, if you lower the strike zone, you've got a chance with the velocity for a hitter to mm-hmm. compete. It, the strike zone's too high and the hitters are going after pitches they cannot manipulate. Mm. They can't go the other way. I was the first to say five years ago, the shifts will go down because you as a hitter is going to have enough pride to make it go away. Well, the hitters can't do it. Mm. So I used to think it was a pride thing, but now you realize it's an execution thing and the velocity is, is keeps increasing. So if you lower the velocity or lower the strike zone. You bring into the impact zone, the hitter, the ability to do something, but it has to be coupled with the shift. Because if it doesn't, you lower the strike zone, you're still hitting the ball on the ground, or you make more contact because you can handle velocity down versus up, then I think that's got to be something that works hand in hand. But I've heard ideas that originally you would go, that's the dumbest. Uh, There's no dumb idea anymore because the game has reached a level where when you sit down to watch a game, I've done plenty of games where by the fourth inning, the first action ball was hit. Think about that. because. If you're adding up 15 to 25 strikeouts per game per, you know, two teams combined, and you've got six to eight walks and you've got three to five home runs, there's not a lot of action. You're not seeing the athletic playing. That's the other thing I think selfishly is I want to see if I've got, if I've drafted a great shortstop, let me have an advantage. Mm. By him playing shortstop and not deep second base, if I've got athletic players, let me have an advantage rather than saying now I can have five second basements play a position. The la- you know, I've heard this idea, you know, hey, you lose your DH once your starter comes out. I think now, the more I think about it, I'm like, well, there's an incentive to brand style of pitching. Because look, everything that we're doing is a byproduct of youth baseball. I get it. And we have never trickled down the changes that need to take place in order to make the major league level a byproduct of a pitcher that could go one to eight, one to nine. That's over, right? I mean, so if you tie your your, uh, DH to your starting pitcher, let's just say, then all of a sudden, what have you accomplished? You've accomplished you know, I'm not going to let a guy go out there for one inning. I'm not going to do the opener thing mm-hmm. anymore. And then I, maybe I start training my pitchers to do a little bit more of what typically they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways you can tie incentives to change philosophy to give you an advantage. But here's the, the argument I'll make to I'm blue in the face. Whatever the rule is. No one has an advantage because it applies the same to everybody. Mm. I hear people scream all the time. Oh, you can't do that. That affects strategy. For who? For everybody. And so my biggest change that they made an altered change to, um, and again, these are all changed to advocate action and get the game going. Because when I call an all-star game, you know, it only calls about two hours and 45 minutes. You know why? Because everyone pitches an inning. They're clean innings. Mm. The interrupted innings is what slows the game down. So when you have seven to eight to nine pitching changes in the middle of innings, that game gets suffocated from its action and its time. So I've always been a big advocate of give every manager three timeouts and those timeouts are only used in the middle of the inning. To take out a pitcher, in the middle of an inning costs you a timeout. So if you get down to your last timeout, you better have some pretty good strategy on who you're bringing in to finish that inning. You could take nine pitchers and pitch them nine one-inning game. It would never slow down. No one would know the difference. I'm not an advocate for that, but the, my point is, right. is when you pit when you play the game that way, it's cleaner. And especially when you're talking about postseason where commercial times are a little bit more and the, and the intensity is a little bit more, the game times start floating into the one and two o'clock in the mornings and we lose a great bit of our fan base. So when I hear... Ideas, I don't, I'm not the guy that goes, oh, that's crazy anymore because. To me, we better think about ideas to try to enhance the game that we love so that it moves a little bit more because the athletes are greater, the arms are far better, but the injury rate and all the things that are happening in our game are outrunning of the fact that these great athletes that are playing at such a young age, the longevity
0: of those players doesn't seem to be as prevalent as it was when we played. When you said uh, players hit 105 mile an hour, exit velo to somebody, all I could think of is the number of times I've watched Freddie free this year hit one that's been over that's registered over 100 miles an hour and it's been right at somebody right. because they're shifting him every time and just and his average reflects that and it's it just i, I don't even know any other way to say it it's just a flat out unfair the only that's, thing that's I, what he's going against you, you know? know
2: we missed an opportunity last year because we tried some stuff in a shortened season covid i think mm-hmm. anybody would have taken anything i wish we would have tried to ban the shift last yeah. year just to show what the data would i believe show when the balls hit on the ball hit on the ground and you don't have the luxury of all those people in one area what why do you what do you think is the hesitancy the pushback always going to be the, the you know, uh, how can you do that? That affects strategy. We've we've kind of, that's our niche. Like yeah. we created this and now we've got run to uh, prevention at a premium. Mm-hmm. Why would you take that away? Well, for the sport, individually, you wouldn't want anybody to change. If I'm a part of a club, I wouldn't want that to sure. change. But if you're the looking at baseball as an entity down the road, you've got to figure out how does this translate down the road? Are we attracting more people to? Mm-hmm. So that's where you've got to change or make a rule change. Change so that people can adapt and and play the game that was played. Really, you know, back in our day there were shifts. You know, there were the Ken Griffey shifts and there were mm-hmm. the but Barry it wasn't Bonds. it wasn't eight guys, no. a team. You know, we're seeing the well, they, record every, amounts yeah, so, every time. Yeah. I think and it's it, coming. And they're
1: clearly were they they're clearly seeing a gap between pitching and hitting. So that would be one way
2: to close that gap because now you open up holes for hitters to hit in. And- yeah. If you think about it, Mac, if I don't have to develop a pitcher, but I know he's got a tremendous arm and I can cover his mistakes with a shift, absolutely that's why it came into play because they, they're not throwing the ball where they want to. They're throwing it with max effort that that stuff gets you out. And if I have a one style, one way hitting, the only place I can hit it is into the shift. So from a standpoint of analytics and what the numbers show, yeah, that all makes sense. But if you're taking the sport in a place you don't want to continue seeing it go, then you have to make a change from the top to be able to say, okay, now you got to think differently. Because I can't make you as a GM think differently. Um, there's no way unless there's a rule change. And so, all these sports that have done it, baseball's always been the slowest one because it's the most historic, America's pastime. And now. It's time that some of these rule changes are going to mm. kind of eke in to make the game just flow a little bit more. Well, I know we could sit here all day and talk.
1: This is fascinating. We we know you're heavily involved, and we don't know what the commissioner is doing. Whether he has he's asking for advice, except for he's hired Theo Epstein to to come up with his ideas. But uh, if he's listening, hopefully he'll he'll hear some things from a, a couple of pitchers. But uh, we appreciate you being on. This has been great, and uh, continued success with your career and I know we all love hearing you hearing you on Fox and and MLB Network but you know personally when I hear you on the on you know on TV I don't I don't see I don't see what people are talking about but um, But but social media but that's good I mean it's good that means if you're getting it from both sides like you said you're doing the right thing so we appreciate you coming on today my pleasure
0: Thanks again to Hall of Famer John Smoltz for letting us invade his home for about an hour or so and uh, talk a little baseball. We certainly enjoyed it and hope you enjoyed that discussion as well. Greg, uh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up. Of course, morning fantasy camp, the second edition, the second yearly edition of fantasy camp in November. You got the Speaker Series, you got Alumni Sunday, you got all kinds of stuff. What? what where, yeah. where do I even start? Yeah, we're in
1: full swing here at Truist Park. Uh, part the, the soonest, I guess the first thing that's coming up is we are continuing with uh, Alumni Sunday. So uh, Sid Bream will be here July 4th. And then after that, we have Marcus Giles and Terry Harper coming up June 18th. So come July, check- July, July. I'm sorry. July, both those are July, July 4th, July 18th. Uh, so come check them out on Sunday. We have a good, great time out in the plaza interviewing those guys. And then um, uh, right in the middle of that, we have our first Brave for a Day. So that is July 8th. You can go to Braves.com slash Brave for a Day and check that out. I still have spots available. We're going to have Marquise Grissom, Terry Pendleton, Charlie Liebrandt, myself, taking you through a mini fantasy camp. So if you don't have the time or money to come to a five-day camp, come check us out on a one-day camp. It's only four hours, It's and it's here at Truist Park, which is different than the normal fantasy camp down in Northport. This one's here in Atlanta, and we will have it July 8th. It's a great time. We'll have hitting on the field, fielding, pitching. Then we'll have lunch in the Truist Club, autographs, pictures. It'll be a great time you <laughs> And then a little mini tour of the stadium. So come check that out. Uh, there are spots available. It should be a lot of fun. And then finally, we, well, the last two things we have a fantasy camp in November. And I have spots available for that. That's at Northport. We'll have some great alumni down there. We'll play some baseball. It's just the same thing as we do in January, but January is sold out. So uh, I had such, uh, so much interest that I wanted to open up another week. And the dates I had were November 2nd through the 7th so that should be a blast right after we win the world series Mm -hmm. we'll roll right into fantasy camp and uh, we'll keep the party going uh last but not least we have the um leadership speaker series and that is put on by your alumni and um we have right now on tap we've got tom glavin speaking um in july then we uh go right into dale murphy at the uh, so middle july july 15th end of july 29th dale murphy and then we um, finish it up in september with a combo terry pendleton and sid bream talking about leadership so uh, this is the first time we've done this you can go to braves.com speaker series and uh, we're going to be doing it in the infinity club Uh, I think we have 200 seats available. So if you have a company or uh, friends, you want to get a table or you can buy individual tickets, then check that out. But it should be good. They'll all be speaking about different things. You can get to go to one or you can go to all three. Um, But we and we may have one more in there. I'm just not ready to announce it yet. But uh, but we do have three on tap. That should be a lot of fun. And like I said, it's the first time we're doing this and really looking
0: forward to hearing these guys talk about um, what they're good that yeah that's that's awesome it's um who who were we talking with recently uh who was talking about it was mark wallers that's right i was trying to mm-hmm. think it was recently on an episode of behind the braves who was talking about Um, I might've even been when I asked him about what he remembered about that time when he first made his major league debut late in the year on that Mm -hmm. 91 team, which we referenced at the top of the show. Um, And he talked about the leadership of Terry Pendleton Mm. and those guys. And he also, I believe he referenced Sid as well in Mm -hmm. that. And um, that's interesting. And that's a guy who, who's just been a leader his whole life, or at least as long as we've known him here in Braves country, he's been a leader. Mm -hmm. And all of these guys have, I mean, Obviously, looking at what Glavin did in his career and what he's done since his playing career has been over. I mean, it's uh, – yeah, so that's re- that's going to be really cool. Yeah. And that'll be here at the ballpark in the – oh, you said the Infinity Club. Okay, yeah.
1: cool. Infinity Club. And, Very um, cool.
0: Yeah, should be a lot of fun and
1: looking forward to that. But, yeah, so – and you can always contact me. Um, greg.mcmichael at com. if you want to, uh, if you need some more questions, but hopefully
0: everything's there on the website,
1: And um, but you can certainly email me if you have any questions.
0: Cool. Well, definitely go to the website, check that out, email Greg, and uh, yeah, get on it. Get on it now <laughs> while you still can, while there's still spots right. available. righty. well, thank you to John Smoltz again for having us out at his house and agreeing to let us uh, pepper him with questions again. That was certainly a good time, and uh, look forward to doing it again. Hopefully, I don't know, another year or two down the road, hopefully. We'll see. All right, for Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next week on Behind the Braves. Hey, Braves country, we just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or at braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves.